Hey, everyone. Um, so what I um, am doing right now is I'm going to be using my cell phone to preach off of. And I know that's not really kosher or a good idea, and people will probably try to be funny and call me while I'm preaching. But um, funny story. I typically work in my office. I do my Bible study in my office in the morning, and I grade papers in the morning. And so when I was working on my sermon, I was doing it in my office. And so I had some notes up there. So I went up there this morning, and then I promptly locked myself out of the office and the notes, and I had to call someone to come rescue me. And while I was working on that, I was trying to, because I had some notes, but I really wanted to get them nice and finally organized. And so I tried to remember what I had done, and put it on my phone, and I really liked what came out there. And so I kept the one on my phone instead of the, the notes that were inside my office. So that's why I'm preaching from my phone. It's not because I'm a lazy bum. It's because I am forgetful and locked myself out of my office. So, Also, another disclaimer, um, Brad said that I was talking about God's work through individuals, and that is not what I thought the topic was at all. So, um, and I checked the email, and what it said is God's relationships with people and his work through them. And that is what I'm preaching on. And it's not about individuals as much. But I feel really strongly that this is the sermon that God wanted me to preach. And I was sort of reinforced in that when he was talking about not necessarily coming up with anything new or fancy or strong intellectual ideas, but just changing the way you relate to God, because that's a lot of what I focused on today. So, God's relationship with people and his work through them. Um, And I have two main points, one on God's relationship with people and one on his work through them, and that's it. And the reason why is because I really want to take some time to delve into each of those points. Um, I know that we know the things that I'm going to say, but I'm not sure that we really believe them or if we do that we act on them in our everyday life. And so I just wanted to spend some time as a church kind of ruminating on them. So I have some examples from scripture, and then I'm going to ask you guys, since we've been on an interactive kick lately, I'm going to ask you guys to give some examples about these as well. So my first point is that God meets all of our needs perfectly because he loves us perfectly. And my second is God delights in letting us take part in his work, and that is so cool. Those are my only two points. So for my first point, he meets all of our needs because he loves us perfectly. And I'm going to read 1 Corinthians' description of love here. And I just want you guys, I don't want you to put it on the screen. I don't want you to look it up in your Bibles. I just want you to listen and think about it. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. God is patient. God is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. He always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And I want to give some examples through scripture of God loving perfectly and loving like 1 Corinthians 13 describes. 
And while I'm doing that, if some come to your mind, go ahead and jot them down or take note of them on your phone because I'm going to ask you to share some examples from Scripture in the end. So my first one is from Exodus, Exodus 4, 10 through 15. And this is between God and Moses. And it's, it's kind of gone back and forth already at this point with Moses, like, God tells Moses that he's going to be his voice to the Pharaoh. And Moses is like, but what if they don't listen? And God gives him something. And he's like, but what if this? And God gives him something. And finally, it sort of culminates here in 4.10. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. How insolent. (laughs) And how often do we do that? Then the the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and teach you what to do. I am always struck by this passage because Moses is being kind of a jerk. I mean, I don't, I know that I do this too, but I feel like, and maybe we should cut him some slack, he's talking to God and he says, no, I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. Please send someone else. I can't do it. And God is like, no, I gave you your mouth. (laughs) I taught you how to speak. I promise you can do it. I will give you the strength. And he still says no. And it takes all of that before it says that God's anger burned. And even in his anger, even though his anger burned, he provides Moses' perceived needs. Even though that's not actually Moses' need, he provides for Moses anyway in his weakness of failing to believe that God is going to provide for him. He provides in another way. I think that is so cool. Even when we fail and fall short and don't have enough faith, God will give us what we think we need at times, which maybe isn't the best. It might have even worked out better if Moses had just listened to God initially, but even in Moses' shortcoming, God covered that. And I think that really shows, you know, that he is patient, not easily angered. It took all that. He's not self-seeking. God had a plan. He gave that plan up in in order to honor Moses, what he thought he needed, And he's not proud. He didn't think his plan was the best plan, even though he was God. Like, he gave up on his plan. I think that shows that he loved Moses really well. Not to say that we should say no to God until he gives us what I want, or what we want, but I think he really showed true love in that moment to Moses. Again, in John 8, 1 through 11, we see God's love. Jesus went to the Mountain of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple of courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. 
the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. I think Jesus definitely shows kindness in this instance. He forgives her, and he trusts and hope in her future when he says, now go and leave your life of sin. In this moment, too, he is showing love. And finally, in Philippians 2. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I love that passage because I think it shows Christ's humility in such an incredible way. He is God. He's equal with God, and he chooses to come down and put us before himself to be humble and patient. I know, I'm sure it was frustrating being with the disciples who, even after all this time, still did not know him, you know? But he did it, and he did it for our good. God loves us, and he meets our needs because he loves us. So I just wanted to ask you guys, what are some examples that you have from Scripture of God or Jesus loving people perfectly? Yes, oh yes. I almost put Job in there, but I was like, I'm going to leave it out so somebody could call it. Yeah, after Job, you know, he does so well, and then in the end he questions God, but still God gives him everything he had and more back at the end. And Yeah, and he has so much faith and hope. Book of Job is a really good one. I expected Tabby to say that because she's obsessed with Job, but you beat her to the punch. <laughs> That's a really good one. I think a real obvious one is when Jesus touches the leper to heal him. Oh, yeah. And which is like, I mean, I guess I don't really have to explain it, but it's just, it's a a love in such a way that really probably meant the world to this guy. Yeah. Yeah, after not being touched in so long, (laughs) being considered an outcast. So Peter betrayed Jesus three times, and then, uh, you know, at a different 
point Jesus to Peter, you're the rock upon which I'm going to build my church. And I think about how much faith he had in Peter and how much Peter gave him for that when Peter ultimately betrayed him. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I also think of when Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness and basically like offering Jesus everything that he had. We talked about this in our third reprint class this week, but basically offered him like everything he'd come here to accomplish, but it was not going to be in a way that was honoring to God, and ultimately it wasn't going to be a way that was honoring to us. It was going to be manipulative to us, or almost like a betrayal to our to our trust in God. And so he just refused to take any sort of easy way yeah. to get people to follow him, and he refused to like take Satan's shortcut, right. even though it meant that he lost people yeah and not only did it mean that he might have lost people but by not taking satan's deal he had to suffer death on a cross mm-hmm. like the most humiliating death and excruciating probably so that's a good point working is, I think, in our best interest in some ways, because it's the easy way <laughs> often, I think, is not the best way. So, Any other ideas? Yeah, I was thinking about how like, Jesus talks to the Pharisees, and <laughs> he just says some pretty like straightforward things that are, that kind of, I guess, like come off in our minds a lot of times, like he's really giving them what they deserve, and I think that's kind of how we would want to talk to people a lot of times. But the more I think about it, it's just like he's telling them what they need to hear. Right. You know, even whenever he calls them whitewashed tombs, it's like, gosh, what a painful insult. Yeah. But I just imagine, like, like the one Pharisee or, like, you know, a few, a few uh, religious leaders that are like, that's so true. And I've been living this, you know, facade of a religious life. And maybe that, you know, really changed some people's lives. But that's, right. like, that's love. Like, that's something that. You know, it's, it's persevering. It's like, why would Jesus even waste his time talking to people if he didn't care about right. those people? And, um, and, you know, it's like, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. He was yeah. always speaking the truth to people, whatever that needed to be. You know, protects people. Protected those that had fallen away in a way that seemed like they were close to God. But it also protected those that were around them that saw it. Like, yeah. you know, they were not going to be deceived by that uh, those lies either. And I just I think that's really powerful. Yeah, I was thinking about that uh, when you said the thing about telling him what he needed to hear. I think about the, the scene where, for some reason, I can always picture Sarah King telling this. I think she said it in one of her scriptures, and it's never left my mind ever since. But she was talking about Jesus is talking to a really rich man, and he looks at the man, and he loves him. And he says, go and sell all that you have mm-hmm. and follow me. 
And that's how he loves the man is by telling him the truth and what he needs to hear and what he needs to give up to be with Jesus. But the man went away sad. But yeah, so I think that's a really good point, speaking truth. One that always sticks out to me is the phrase, Father, for your mercy is not out there. Yeah. Yeah, how humble. I can't imagine. All right, so um, I'm going to sort of move on. But another thing, another facet of this point that I want to explore is that this should apply to your life too. So this is not just scripture. Scripture gives us the examples of how God loves us. But in your life, you need to believe. You need to know and believe that God will meet your needs because he loves you. So I have a couple examples of that in my life and people pointing me to that, but I'm going to also ask you guys to share with the people around you. So I just have three points, the first three that came to my mind, and the first one is actually not resolved yet. I haven't seen how God is going to meet my need in this situation yet, but um, not too long ago, my roommate, Ann Haven, who is supposed to move in with me in the future, got a job in Dallas, which, and so she got an offer for an apartment in Dallas, which is going to be really great for her, and it's going to save her a lot of money, and she's not going to hate her life when she's driving to and from Denton, every single day because that's the worst drive ever Um, and that is so good for her but it kind of leaves me in a stressful situation of having about two weeks to find a roommate or have to pay for a room which is like ah that's kind of stressful you know and every single person that I talk to about this all of my friends Leslie everybody has said the same thing which is just I believe that God is going to find you a roommate I trust and believe that he's going to fill your need in this situation he knows what you need and he's going to fill it And I think that my instinct was to be frustrated and stressed, and none of them would let me do it. And they all pointed me away from my instinct to knowing and believing that God is good and would fill my needs because he loves me. And I love that. I haven't seen how he's filling my needs in that situation yet, but now those people helped me to believe that. Another example is um, when I was going to Sikkim, Many, many years ago, I was not so great at managing my money, um, and I had gotten to the end of my rope. Like, I had no idea how I was going to pay for my meals at Sikkim, but I didn't want to admit that to anyone. And so I was kind of nervous, and I told one person that, um, and she actually wasn't going to Sikkim, but she encouraged me to pray about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, pray about it. Great. That's going to make money appear in my bank account. Actually, it did. So the next day, um, I was at the airport, and someone walked up to me and said, God told me to give you this and handed me $20. What? Mind blown. Okay. And then further on that week, I had gotten to the end of that $20, and I didn't know it, but I was building up cash rewards on my credit card, and $25 got deposited into my bank account. (laughs) So $45 just appeared that week while I was at Sikkim, which is basically exactly what I needed, and I got paid the whole week. So that's another example of God meeting your needs. Kind of a superficial one, me not wanting to admit it, because I know Brandon and Mandy would have made sure that I got food, but he met my needs in that situation. And another one, really pretty recently, actually, when I moved to Denton at first, I was feeling really, really lonely. And there weren't at the time. There are a lot more now, but there weren't really any other women who um, were graduated and not married. 
and I wasn't friends with very many of the ones, like the one or two that was also in that situation. And so I just had gotten to this place where like, I just felt like I had no friends or they were, everyone was involved in focus and I couldn't really do that. I didn't have the schedule for that. And so I was all alone. And I was just, I was just sitting in this sad, lonely place. And over the course of some prayer and going to winter camp, I started to realize that I was just kind of letting myself be sad and lonely and sit in that sin instead of letting God fill that need in my life. And so I prayed and so I kind of said, I'm not going to just sit in this anymore. And shortly after that is when I started to become better friends with Emily and Chelsea. And, you know, then Brittany moved here and all these people started to be more involved in my life and I didn't feel like I was lonely anymore. And I think that a big part of that was because I opened my eyes to what God was already doing in my life and the people that he already put around me. And that just because people are married doesn't mean they can't be friends with me. So <laughs> so that was a really, really cool way that God met my needs and opened my eyes once I let him and submitted to him instead of just holding on to what I was sad and lonely about. So I'm going to give you guys just a few minutes to turn and talk to the person next to you about some areas of your life that you're not letting God meet your needs or areas that you've seen him meet your needs, just whatever you want to share. And if you're new or you're not comfortable doing that, it's okay if you just want to journal or whatever. But, um, yeah, go ahead and take a couple minutes to do that. And break. You have something.
What are you doing? Oh, cool. So is he, is it, are you just a video of it, or is he there on Skype? Tommy! Okay, let's bring it back in. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and move on to my next point, which, if I can find it on my phone, which is why we don't preach from our phones, God delights in letting us take part in his precious work, and that is so cool. I know so cool isn't like, you know, the most holy of ways to put it, but that is all I could think was that is so cool that God lets us take part in his work. And when I first decided to preach a sermon, it was because of I was thinking about my experience of God working through people to bring me to him. You know, the way I would describe the women in college who ministered to me is that they would hold my hands until I was and walk with me until I was ready to hold God's and walk with him, which is so cheesy. I know, but it's so accurate and true, and that's really how I felt. It's so like, oh, yeah, I totally want to preach a sermon. I have so much experience with God ministering to me through other people, and then I realized that everyone in this room has probably also had that same experience and that it's not unique to me at all. And that was actually kind of a fun realization. And when I was thinking about it, the only salvation story I could think of that didn't really involve other people is Paul. Everyone else that I've ever heard talk about how they came to God and decided to be a true disciple involved relationships with other people. And that is amazing when you think about how important and precious God's work is. His work is to bring his children who he loves back to him, children who are far away back to him. I am not a parent, so I can't say for sure, but I would imagine as a parent that if one of your children was missing, that would be the number one thing on your mind. And you would hardly be able to trust anyone else with the responsibility of doing whatever they could to get your child back. And God lets us be a part of that. That says so much about who he is and how much he trusts us. Sorry, I kind of lost my spot here. Okay. Okay, so uh, so I was going to give an example of how hard it is to trust people to do things. And this is for something not as important as eternal salvation, obviously. Um, but <laughs> So in my job, I work in a chemistry lab, and I get to do really cool things. And I basically my whole job is to try to imitate chlorophyll. And I said to my boss very specifically that I didn't want an intern this summer because I... Um, wanted to basically do it myself. <laughs> and I haven't published a paper yet. I didn't want to mess things up. So I decided that I didn't want an intern until I could get my first paper out there, and that way they wouldn't mess anything up for me until I got my first paper out. Well, he agreed to that and then decided that his daughter was going to come work for me without telling me, just showed up with her one day. And it was so hard for me to let her do anything. She'd already been trained in years previous by the same guy who trained me, but I didn't want to let her touch any of my stuff because I'd worked so hard on it, right? She could have messed it up so easily, but I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't. It was so hard. In the end, I had to let her do my stuff, and she um, actually has been really, really a great help and relief to me 
But that's how hard it was for me to let someone touch my chemistry project, like non-consequential in the big scheme of things. And God lets us do work with his children. That is amazing. That shows so much about his character and who he is. And so I've got just a couple ideas um, from scripture on that, big overarching ideas. I don't have any specific scriptural examples, but Moses. We just heard about Moses' shortcomings earlier, and that's who God chose to, to bring all of the Israelites out into salvation, out of Egypt. The guy who said, no, I don't want to do it, actually. God worked through him and brought them all out of Egypt, and from that, his people were formed, and that's where Jesus came from. Good job, God, working through Moses. Another example is scripture. So um, I really think that scripture shows a lot, like the whole, like scripture, like the whole thing. I think that scripture says so much about God, but if I were God, I would not have made the holy book that's supposed to describe me and reach out to people be, um, you know, a bunch of letters from like an ex-murderer who turned good and he's writing to churches about how bad they're doing and also in one part talks about this guy's stomach problems and indigestion. Like, that is not the book that I would have represent me. I wouldn't have people openly defying me and saying, no, God, I don't want to do that. I would have a perfect book with no mess, totally clear, makes me look really good. That's not what God did. And I think that that shows how much he loves our fingerprints. Like, human fingerprints are all over this book, and he loves that because he loves us. And that is so cool. Um, Another perfect example of God ministering through people is Paul. Paul, the ex-murderer turned good that I would not have in my Bible if I were God, is the, the author of like half of the New Testament or more. That is so cool. God took this guy who sucks, I mean, is like killed so many Christians and made him the champion of his cause. God can do anything. And he can work through you, you, even you, who think you're terrible and know all your shortcomings, to bring other people closer to him. That is so great. And I want this to apply to your everyday life, too. Just like we talked about knowing how God loves you, knowing that God delights in his work through you and letting you be part of that needs to apply to your everyday life. This isn't a chore or something that we have to do as Christians. This is something amazing that we get to take part of and share. And I know it can stop feeling like that on a day-to-day basis, and that's why I wanted to remind you. God delights in letting us work with him, and we view it as a chore that our Father makes us do. Instead of thinking, we have the best dad in the world, and he wants to love all of our friends, and we need to bring them all to him. Let's do it so he can love them too. We're like, man, this is something I have to do. I have to reach out to people. That should not how it should be. We should delight in that. And so I want to take time now to share ways. This will be kind of the last thing we do before we wrap up for communion, but I want you guys to just share ways that you've gotten to delight in taking part in God's work. Just like we did before, that's what I want you to share. Times that you've really enjoyed being a part of what God is doing. With me, out loud, out loud. Sorry. Here, now. Shout them out from where you're sitting. Sorry, I didn't give very clear instructions. 
I can give one example real quick while you guys are thinking. Uh, I met Ryan the first week of school. I didn't do anything during Welcome Week because I was doing all this stuff with the graduate school. But I went to one event with Isabel, didn't want to go, decided to go because I like to play board games. So I was like, fine, I'll go with you. And I'll just miss looking up Isabel anyway. Met Ryan, was pretty sure I would never see him again. And uh, he's never left. So every time I see him, I'm like, that's so cool. God used me in my bad attitude and just like put me in the right place at the right time and made all these connections for him that I had nothing to do with, but just because we went to the board game night. So that's something that I really love that I got to be a part of. Go for it. Uh, I just remember this whole last year That's so Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's an encouragement to all the single 
Thanks. Appreciate that. So cool. Okay, cool. Well, I'm going to send us uh, into communion, but if you still have these stories and thoughts, I want you to hold on to them because um, that's how we do communion, right? So for those of you who are new or aren't here very often, we just will take a cracker and dip it in a cup of juice, and then we remember Jesus in that time by celebrating with one another and by experiencing the joy that he gave us in community. And so I really... um, There'll be two lines in the back and one line in the front, but I really love it if this conversation continues while we're taking communion and you continue to share about how you have gotten to be a part of God's work and how that's really been encouraging for you. So um, I'm going to pray for a teen camp, and also I wanted to pray, Brad didn't get this, but just for France and the world that seems to be kind of a lot of bad things happening one right after another, um, and then we can go do communion. God, thank you so much for the message that you gave today and for opening our eyes to how incredible it is to work with you. I ask that over the next couple days you continue to open the eyes of the people in this room to what you're doing and how they can be a part of it and really enjoy that. I ask that you be present in the lives of the people who are affected in France and all their family members and everything else that's been going on, all the bad news um, that's been coming up at us for the last non-stop for the last month or two, Um, and I just ask that you be a peacemaker in that situation and work for the good of those people involved. Amen.
Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.